Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. It's no secret how much we love our state. One of our most favorite pastimes is pointing to a place on the map and driving there to explore local shops, restaurants, and anything else we can find. The keys to a good road trip are snacks, a good playlist, and a clean car. Get your car ready for a Michigan road trip by calling Ride and Shine Mobile Car Detailing in Dearborn, Michigan. We know the owner personally, and there's not a harder worker than Darnell. He will come to your home or place of business for interior and exterior detailing, wax and polish, paint correction, ceramic coating, and window tinting, right in your driveway or parking lot while you work. You can find Ride and Shine Mobile Car Detailing on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, or you can call or text Darnell at 313-804-6441 to get your ride shining for spring. Welcome back to Great Lakes Confidential with Angie and Marty. Oh, thank you for welcoming me back. It's been a long it's, time. Feels like it's been a really long time. I think it's been... Three weeks. Three weeks? Three weeks. Wow. Three. That, that is a long time. Mm-hmm. So in the last three weeks, we have... Uh, I, I've worked. That's really all I've done, I think. You've been pretty busy. I've been very busy. It was Mother's Day and... We were very busy at the shop for Mother's Day stuff, and then now it's springtime. Well, it feels like summer. It's like 90 degrees out suddenly. Yeah, We went from uh, like 50 degrees to the next day it was like 80. Mm-hmm. So now everybody is rushing to the flower shop because they need flowers to plant in their yard, and it's been nonstop for the last three weeks. Right. Your busy season. Yeah, so. People like spring. I don't. I hate it. But other people like it. I I like it, but I know why you hate it. And I also agree that I don't like bugs. Like, everything is waking up. And so mm-hmm. everything is waking up and trying to figure out where it's supposed to be. And it's ending up in the house. Mm-hmm. Ants. We've, we caught a mouse. Spiders. Spiders. Centipedes. Those gross. Yeah. Mm. And, like, I understand that the... The spiders eat the centipedes, and so that we should have them all, you know, let them coexist mm-hmm. or whatever. But I don't like the spiders. I don't like the centipedes, but I don't like the spiders more. I do my best to let the spiders live, but sometimes there's just too many of I them. I can't. I just can't. You know what, though? It is one of those things where I am grateful that we are in Michigan in a, a little bit northern, colder climate. 
So are, we don't have, you know, spiders the size of your fist? Yeah, no, the spiders down south are really gross. Mm-hmm. Really, I could tell you some stories about spiders from when I lived down in Baton Rouge, and it's really yucky. I, I hate it. Louisiana is filled with all sorts of monsters. It is, but... We also, we don't have geckos up here, and that was really fun, was being able to look outside the window, like, after a rain, and Mm -hmm. the window and, like, the carport ceiling would be covered, literally covered in hundreds of geckos and other lizards that were, you know, doing whatever it is that they do, but we don't have that here, so it's kind of like, but... We don't have poisonous snakes. But we also, yeah, we don't have... Well, we do have brown recluse spiders, but not like we do down, not like down there. Yeah. Pretty few and far between. So anyways, that's, that's our nature segment. That's our show, everybody. Just talking about <laughs> the dangerous animals of different states <laughs> and how we're happy we live in Michigan. Yep. So we, three weeks ago, back when we were still doing the show, but it was, how, how long have we done the, the county thing? We did like once or twice? Yeah, I think you've gotten like Maybe two. Maybe three times? Yeah, about that. So we were trying to find a name for that, and a woman by the name of Cynthia, who actually lives in what is what state borders over there on the other side of Lake Michigan? Not not Illinois. That Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. What What is wrong with you? I don't, you don't know. know. That's our our brother state, our sister state, I Wisconsin. Know. Listen, I'm not great with geography, and I'm pretty sure that work and the heat have completely fried my brain. Mm-hmm. So. It's it's rough. Well, that's all right. I've got enough love for Wisconsin in my heart for the both of us. Yeah. I love you, Wisconsin. You're one of my favorite states. I've never been. You're a tailgate on the lake. Yeah. I swear, that's where tailgate was. Tailgating must have been invented in Wisconsin because, you know, they, they I think cheeseburgers were invented in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Bratwurst, not invented, but, you know, perfected. Sure. Beer. It's a party state. It's a very low-key party state. One time I was in Nashville, and I ended up partying with a bunch of people from Wisconsin. We were dancing on tables. It was so much fun. Mm. I love you, Wisconsin. All right. Well, Cynthia in Wisconsin, she discovered our podcast a while ago. I guess she was like just looking for something Great Lakes related or mm. history related, and she found us. And she had sent me a message quite a while back and just was like, hey, I found your your show. I love it. It's great. Super cool. And I was like, yeah, you, you rock. Cynthia. Yeah, it was it was really cool. And she helped us name this little segment. So, so what's the name? The name is County Roots. Oh, I like that. I do, too. Yeah. So today we're going to start off with a couple of, of uh, counties in the state of Michigan. I'm going to screw up some names here, some words, because as you all know, that's what I do. Have we gotten to the bees yet? We're in the bees. Okay. So the first one is Barrage County, which is in the Upper Peninsula. It's named for Bishop Frederick Baraga, a Slovenian Roman Catholic mm-hmm. missionary who founded a mission at, this is where I'm going to screw it up. How do you pronounce the word? L apostrophe A-N-S-E. Lance. Lance, that's mm-hmm. it? Oh, wow. Okay. So he founded a mission at Lance, now the county seat. He was known for traveling hundreds of miles via snowshoe during northern Michigan's wicked winters, thus earning himself the nickname the Snowshoe Priest. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, didn't we see that in Sault Ste. Marie? It, yep, in Sault Ste. Marie, the that's little, where they have that, yeah, they have his, his path uh, spray painted yeah. on, the, yeah. on the, the street. That was really cool. Right there on Portage. Yeah, so 
That's how they got their their county mm-hmm. name up there was from uh, Bishop Frederick Baraga. Yeah, he, or Baraja. Uh, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, he he walked from uh, in snowshoes from Sault Ste. Marie to Marquette and all over the place. Well, again, I don't know geography, so I but that's probably a pretty far distance, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So next up is Barry County. How did William Taylor Barry, U.S. Postmaster General under President Andrew Jackson, get a Michigan county named after him when he was not, in fact, from Michigan? Well, I mean, the same way anyone does in politics, right? It's just favoritism. It's because Barry County was one of the Michigan Territory's 10 so-called cabinet counties named after President Jackson himself, along with some men who served in his cabinet. It's said the naming may have been a political move to score some points with the president in the hopes of winning the territorial dispute over Toledo, which ultimately led to Michigan gaining the UP. Mm-hmm. And the hatred between the two states that remains today. Wisconsin, I love you. Ohio, you're all right. You're all right. I do like Ohio. I still love Miranda in Ohio. She's my best friend. Bay County's name is as straightforward as they come. The county's eastern edge hugs the central portion of Saginaw Bay. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. The smallest of Michigan's 83 counties, Benzie, gets its name from what the French called the river here. I don't speak French, but it's La Riviere uh, Bexies. Sure. With Bexies being a type of duck. It's likely that English interpretations of the name's pronunciation eventually led to Benzie, as well as the river's modern name, the Betsy. Mm-hmm. So that's it for the, the county routes today. These are fun things that you've learned today. So oh, Fantastic. I always wondered where Benzie County got its name from. Well, now you know. I do. It's from the river. So we're going to take a really quick break, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to tell you all of the stuff that I have learned about a Detroit icon, the Grandy Ballroom. Oh, the Grandy. Those Grandy days. Celebrating two years of creating unique artwork for the home, Bone Jackie's is a woman-owned business right here in the Great Lakes State. Bone Jackie's mission in life is to make people happy by spreading their love of horror and cryptids. From shadow boxes to wall plaques, they've got something for everyone. Would you believe it? Take a look for yourself at BoneJackie's.com. All right. So the Grandy Ballroom began as a jazz and big band dance hall. It was designed in the Moorish Deco style by Charles N. Agree for entrepreneurs Edward K. Strata and his partner Edward J. Davis in 1928. Located at 8952 Grand River Avenue, the building had storefront space on the first floor, while the second floor housed a ballroom with Moorish arches and a floor on springs that gave dancers the feeling of floating. The dance floor could accommodate about 1,500 dancers and was one of the largest in the city. On the other side of town was another ballroom called Vanity Ballroom, also designed for Strata and Davis by Agree. The pair of ballrooms, including the cost of land, cost the men about $500,000, which would be about $6.2 million today. After World War II, jazz and ballroom dancing lost its popularity and many ballrooms closed. However, in 1955, the Grandy Ballroom was taken over by Mr. and Mrs. John T. Hayes, who were determined to revive ballroom dancing. The couple wanted a wholesome and entertaining place for young people in a world that was becoming increasingly more rock and roll. 
There was no liquor inside, and on Friday and Saturday evenings, the Grandy hosted live music. In regards to not having liquor at the Grandy, Mrs. Hayes had said, nor do we allow persons who have been drinking on the premises. This is not a pickup place. We do not emphasize the type of dancing or create the kind of atmosphere that appeals to troublemakers. The Hayes' resistance to change eventually led the Grandy Ballroom to close in the early 1960s. It was turned into a roller skating rink and then a mattress storage facility. Spoiler alert. So Drinking and drugs show up later in the story. It's so funny to me that she said it wasn't a pickup place. Mm -hmm. Because I was reading and doing my research, I was reading about um, this uh, guy who is like in his 90s now. And he said... He used to go to the Grandy, and he said, quote, The Grandy is a place where you'd pay to get in, and you'd try to find the best-looking girl you could and ask her to dance. Yeah, sounds so like a hookup sounds place. Sounds like a pickup place yeah. to me. None it's, of that picking up here, young man. It's also funny because we've all seen Footloose, mm-hmm. right? And remember, dancing wasn't allowed, mm-hmm. and it was like a whole thing. And, you know, like when I watched... When I watched that movie, I was like, ha, that couldn't happen. That's not real. And now it's <laughs> not like... Not in Michigan. And it, like, not anywhere. Like, it, it just seemed like a weird... I mean, maybe today, some places. But, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And now it's like, oh, no, the Grandy Ballroom. Like, Mrs. Hayes was like, oh, we are not. Mm-hmm. This is a wholesome... Goody Hayes. Yeah, we're we're not doing that bumping and grinding. Right. None nice. of that jitterbugging. Except for the guy that was that's now ninety living in Livonia, he's like, oh yeah, we're doing all sorts of bumping and grinding. Oh, we should have got him on the show. I know, I know it. So in nineteen sixty six, the Grandy Ballroom was purchased by Russ Gibb, my man, who would immortalize the venue. Gibb was inspired by rock halls of the West Coast and used them as a model for the Grandy. He hung a massive screen behind the stage that projected psychedelic images and bought huge strobe lights. The Grandy, once the host of Wholesome Ballroom Dancing, became a place for Detroit and suburban youth to dance to rock and roll. Rock and roll decadence. It is arguably the birthplace of punk and hard-driving rock. Mm-hmm. It really is a, a, a legendary place in Detroit history. Mm-hmm. So Gibb was a popular local radio DJ at the time, and he was being told by his friends that he couldn't, quote, do that down there because it was a black neighborhood. But he said, kids always want to go where their parents don't want them to go. And I knew location wouldn't mean diddly. If the music was there, they'd come. Mm -hmm. So the bands who played the Grandy Ballroom loved its lively audiences. MC5 drummer Dennis Thompson once described... Machine gun Dennis Thompson. Once described the Grandy's crowd like this. The Grandy Ballroom's audiences are probably the best in the world. They were just fanatics. They loved the hard-driving music, and they showed up. Tickets were five bucks. Come on, you could see four bands for five bucks. You know, just talking about this now, I have MC Five in my I head. Know. I could see Rob Tyner bouncing around. I'm yeah. all excited. I, I love this topic. John Sinclair, manager to the MC Five, had said, "Quote: Brother John Sinclair, if you went to the Grandy Ballroom, somehow somebody turned you on and took you to the Grandy Ballroom. You entered a different world. It was none like any of the world that they had presented to you before, and there was no interpretive code. You were just thrust into the middle of it." And if you were lucky, Neil would come with a new batch of acid at 10 o'clock on a Friday night and pass it out to the regulars. If you were lucky, you might get one. And by the time you went home, if you went home, you would be in a whole different place mentally, just completely different. So in that way, it was like a gateway into a new and much more interesting and exciting world, which had music at the core of it and art and images, you know? It was different. 
It was nothing like Ford Motors, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, the crazy thing about it is, you know, John Sinclair is like the, the poet laureate of, uh, you know, countercultural Detroit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, these guys, they, you know, he was the manager of the MC5, uh, the MC5 being, you know, the most revolutionary rock and roll band on the planet. Like the fact that, you know, they were just this phenomenally loud, amazing powerhouse band that was basically destroyed because of their politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys were, these guys basically invented their own religion. The first album by the MC5, Kick Out the Jams, was recorded live at the Grandy Ballroom on Halloween 1968, I believe. Maybe. Which, uh, they, to them, sure, it's Halloween to the rest of us, but to them, it was the Zenta New Year. Like, that's where they were at mentally. Mm-hmm. They were nuts, just yeah. all drugged out and rocking out, and I love them all. Keep yeah. going. Gibb booked local acts, some of which would become absolute legends like MC5, The Stooges, SRC, The Frost, and The Rationals. In 1967, he also began to bring in touring bands, with the first being Vanilla Fudge. Soon, more touring bands were playing the venue. Big acts like Led Zeppelin, John Lee Hooker, The Yardbirds, Cream, Pink Floyd, Canned Heat, The Jeff Beck Group, The Birds... Chuck Berry, the Velvet Underground, Steve Miller Band, and Tim Buckley all played at the Grandy. By the late 60s, Gibb was looking for bigger venues at the Michigan Palace and in other cities. He explained that it became impractical to host shows at the Grandy Ballroom. He complained of greed in the music industry and of problems with police at the venue. Quote, A big frustration for me was the New York and Hollywood agents, Gibb said. If I wanted to have the Doors play, I had to take two or three of their bands, too. I wanted to put local bands on the bill. The greed was incredible. Plus, people were always thinking we were dopers and the cops were giving us a hard time. One of the bands you didn't mention, maybe you're going to get to it later, I'm not sure, but the uh, besides the MC5, I would say the other biggest band that's always associated with the Grandy Ballroom was The Who. I don't know if they played their first American shows here, but they played their best American shows here when they came, and they famously, Roger Daltrey would talk about, um, like the MC5 was the house band. Mm-hmm. They would open shows. Right. Like, you would have to follow Kick Out the Jams. Kick Out the Jams was actually written about touring bands coming to town. Like, you know, Kick Out the Jam, Jams, mother effer. You know, right. like, you gotta rock while you're here. Yeah. You can't, you know, half-ass anything. You have to, to come correct when you're here. You have to follow the MC5. Right. And Roger Daltrey famously said that was impossible. They had the hardest time following the MC5 playing out here. I, if I if I know the story correctly, like, you know, it was very hard for them when they first played here and, and you know, maybe even a sense of failure mm-hmm. playing at the Grandy. But eventually, you know, it came around to the fact where the, the Who loved the Grandy, the Grandy loved him back, that they actually debuted Tommy for American audiences at the Grandy. Yeah. Like playing it in full, the album. Mm-hmm. It was debuted at, at uh, like played live. Yeah. They, um, in, in some of the stuff that I was reading, and there was, I mean, truthfully, we could talk about the Grandy forever and ever mm-hmm. and ever. But yes, there were, there was a story um, mentioning The Who, and they basically said that once, I think it was about The Who, that once they came and played at the Grandy, and then they went back home, Every like all of Europe were like, we have to play there. We yeah. have to go to the states, and we have to play the Grandy Ballroom. Like it was the place to be yeah, in the sixties yeah. and seventies, to the point where 
people, you know, now you think of that and it's like, oh, that makes sense because we have a global community. We're able to mm-hmm. communicate with anybody instantly anywhere in the world. So you think about what that was like in the 60s and 70s where they didn't have internet, mm-hmm. you know, to, to place a phone call across the across the pond, as right. they say, would have cost boatloads of money. It did. And it wouldn't have been something that they were just doing often. Right. But the word got out that the Grandy Ballroom was the, the hot, place. Yeah. And it was like Europe exploded and all of these rock and roll you know, groups and bands were like, we have to right. figure out how to get there. It like, was... this, is, this is the thing that we, if we want to be anybody, if we want to do anything, that's where we have to go. It was a great proving ground. Like if you could, if you could do, make it at the Grandy, if you could do it at the Grandy, you could do it anywhere, right. basically. You right. know, it was a, um, considered a, a tough room, you know, because Detroit's a tough town. Yeah. And again, Every night, like, you know, you're the new band in town. You're following the MC5 Which every night. The like, MC5 was just on, they just went on tour. Yeah, Wayne Kramer. Uh, you know, it's Wayne Kramer and um, a couple other people, like, put together for the MC5 50th anniversary. Yeah, within the last, I would say, They're at still least touring, but yeah, they just played the um, El Club downtown. Five, like, within the last five years, Five to ten years, probably. Oh, I think you're talking about within the past week. No. Yeah, within the past week, they just... Um, oh, did they? Yeah, Wayne brought them to oh. Detroit, and they just played like a, a benefit show. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that. No, I'm, I'm Brother just, Wayne Kramer. I'm just referring to like... Like, I had seen a bunch of my friends online going to these shows, mm-hmm. you know, just within the last couple of years, and being somebody that didn't live in Detroit and didn't grow up with the MC5. You know, when I was hanging out in Detroit before I moved here, I was listening to a lot of, you know, techno and house music. Mm-hmm. So that was the that was the crowd of people. So I didn't even know about the MC5. And then I heard about them a few years ago because all of my friends were so excited that they were touring and I was like, I don't have mm-hmm. any idea who these people even are. It's only are. Wayne Kramer. Like, uh, you know, Rob Tyner, unfortunately, passed away, I think, in like 1990, mm-hmm. yeah. 91, around there. I think uh, Machine Gun, Den- Dennis Machine Gun Thomas is still, Thompson's still alive, but uh, I don't think he plays with uh, Wayne Kramer's mm-hmm. reformed MC5 uh, too often. Fred Sonic Smith was the other guitarist in the band. He was married to Patti Smith. He passed away mm-hmm. in the 90s as well, I believe. Right. Well, my but my point is is that whether whether it's the original band members or not, I just mean like the popularity of that band of the of their songs of mm-hmm. them has spanned decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and and now I'm a fan because you know it was like yeah. oh all my friends are listening to this I need to I need to listen to the, these guys and now it's like oh shoot I really I was really missing out on on something you know really fantastic and well I mean, now I get to still enjoy it we but, both did. but still you know what mm-hmm. I mean it's just like that I mean you know taking taking just them out of the Grandy Ballroom for a moment like them, them in Chicago but you know what I'm saying like. Mm-hmm. Like they, their popularity and their music has gone decades yeah. of people just being like, yes, they are incredible. If I could have a minute to talk about the MC5, because they're probably one of my all time favorite bands. Like they, they're a band that just burned too hot 
too fast. Yeah. And they put out three albums and uh, they were done. Probably their biggest, you could say, misstep was the fact that they actually soundtracked a riot live while it was happening. Mm. The Chicago uh, Democratic National Convention, 1968. Yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, they were there playing in the park live while police were bashing in people's heads and yeah. came for them and everything. And I mean, you think about it, you could, see, you could find some footage, not too much footage of them really playing, but it's like, wow, that's just, that's legendary. Mm-hmm. These guys played, like Rage Against the Machine actually, you know, uh, took, like Tom Morello and, and Wayne Kramer are good friends now. And they play, uh, they play together a lot, like a lot of benefit shows, political benefit shows. But uh, the MC5 was a huge influence on them, like their whole image and mm-hmm. everything they did. Like, uh, I forget what video they made where they performed live, like outside. They did like a, a pop up uh, concert outside Wall Street, mm-hmm. and they filmed it, and it all got shut down. And you know, they filmed the cops shutting it down, and everything. That was all inspired by the MC5 performing at the dem- you know, yeah. in the protests for the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean they're fantastic. I've uh, on a few occasions I've 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 gotten to to talk to Wayne Kramer. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic guy. Yeah. Ask him some questions. Like he just had a little Q and A on Facebook once. Like uh, that's cool. And uh, of course, me being an idiot, like he's like, hey, I'm open for questions. Any questions? I'm like, Yeah. Did uh, Did you ever see Ted Nugent take drugs? Oh my god. He said no. Nugent's always been a a Tito Taylor. How do you pronounce that? Is that the right word for it? I don't know. He's always been sober. Yeah. But the Amboy Dukes, Ted Nugent's first band, was a regular at the uh, Grandy as well. So the Grandy's final show was actually on New Year's Eve of 1972. Real New Year's, not Zenta New Year. After the venue was finished, the building was seldom used, and much like the neighborhood around it, it fell into neglect. The Spanish-tiled roof has long since failed, allowing water to eat large holes in the hallowed dance floor. Souvenir seekers have busted off chunks of the Moorish columns in the ballroom. Vandals have punched through walls and smashed toilets. Scrappers have looted it of its plumbing and valuable metals. The building still stands, but its fate is currently unknown. In 2008, Gibb returned to the Grandy Ballroom. He said he was overcome with, quote, a wee bit of anger over how a place that meant so much to so many people doesn't mean that much to the powers that be. There's a bit of anger at myself, but mostly at the city that didn't realize what it had. The Grandy Ballroom was added to the National Register of Historic Places in December of 2018. Early April of this year, 2022, it was listed for sale. So if you've got $5 million, you can purchase the building and the land. I know people who you know would love to get, get their hands on that. Russ Gibb, I believe, just passed away uh, within the past few years. Um, I was fortunate enough to see okay first of all there's an amazing documentary about the grandy ballroom called louder than love i recommend everybody go see that i saw a screening of it at the michigan theater in ann arbor where russ gibb came out and uh, spoke and it was really cool another thing i want to add is is uh post the grandy days maybe even during the grandy days russ gibb was a high school teacher in dearborn Mm -hmm. and he was actually a teacher of a friend of ours billy z oh really was actually one of his students and uh he um Russ Gibb was also, I believe, one of the first um, cable franchisers in the area. Like he was one of the first people to jump on the, the possibilities of cable television mm-hmm. and helped uh, bring, uh, you know, cable, like a public uh, cable television show to uh, Dearborn, mm-hmm. the high school in Dearborn, where uh, like Billy was a part of it and a whole bunch of people were a part of it. They had this. Uh, on the weekend nights, uh, it was called Back Porch Video, where they would just play music videos, and it was like, you know, young 
young high school kids playing like punk rock and mm-hmm. new wave videos and all That's this. And cool. it's fun from time to time seeing old footage of Billy on that show yeah. doing stuff. It's all on YouTube. But yeah. uh, so, props, Billy. So I I was just about to mention the documentary. So it's called Louder Than Love, The Grandy Ballroom Story. And you can purchase it on Amazon. But you and I also watched it on PBS not long ago. Oh, yeah, they were couple, airing parts of it. Yeah, yeah, they it was part of they were doing their money raising. Yeah. Um, I almost said their money laundering. Their fundraising scheme. Money laundering. Right. Now you yeah, just made Jesus. me say scheme. I know. I My brain is fried. Um, but it was on PBS, which is which is where I learned about the Grandy Ballroom for the first time because I'd never knew mm-hmm. about the place. The documentary is fantastic. Like the photos and the videos and the stories were so entertaining and so cool. And it really made me like nostalgic for time you never knew. Well, but but also the time that I knew when I was a high schooler going Mm -hmm. to shows and, you know, hanging out with my friends on a Friday and a Saturday night at a club and, you know, seeing local bands and you know it made me it made me think about all of the 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 small town bands that I would see growing up and like whatever happened to those people you know like where did they ever go and so so whether or not you used to hang out at the Grandy Ballroom I think that it's a very it will bring a it will bring anybody a sense of nostalgia because I mean it that's just what it does and then also while I was researching for this I came across a book called the the Grandy Ballroom Detroit's Rock and Roll Palace, which was written by Leo Early in 2016. That's also available on Amazon. So I went digging around for fun stories about the Grandy and was lucky enough to find this one that was actually removed from the book during the editing phase because they wanted to reduce the word count. So I'm going to read this little part of this book that was not included. And it's, it's really cool. So... In July of 1969, Rick Lockhart was a teenager actually living at the Grandy Ballroom. Originally a resident of Kentucky Street in Dearborn, he had originally been hired by his neighbor Russ Gibb to perform to perform cleanup chores in the building and surrounding neighborhood. Sadly, soon fired by Gibb, the teen was immediately rehired by Grandy owner Gabe Glantz. It would be Glantz that would help Lockhart to become emancipated from his parents and gainfully employed as his 15-year-old Grandy quote, Man Friday. Residing in office and loft spaces in the venues, Lockhart would be associated with the Glantz family for 10 years, including stints at the Grandy Rivera and the Michigan Palace. At the Grandy on Sunday, July 20th, most records indicate that the headlining act was Spooky Tooth with opening act the Stuart Avery Assemblage. Yeah, Spooky Tooth. However. You know their big hit? No. Are you going to tell me? Uh, It's whatever that song that Judas Priest got sued over, because that was a cover of Spooky Tooth, the song that supposedly made kids like try to kill themselves. No idea. Anyway. However, Rick Lockhart and other patrons vividly remember the Stooges were added to the bill the evening of the Apollo 11 moon landing. On this gorgeous, low-humidity Detroit summer night, Rick, a.k.a. Sunny Boy, recalls an incoming phone call at the Grandy office. We just landed on the moon, Sonny Boy. Who is playing? Gabe Glantz bellowed. Well, it's Iggy. You can hear him, Lockhart replied. Go tell Iggy we just landed on the moon, commanded Glantz. (laughs) So I had to go run up to the stage, and Iggy is standing there with no shirt on. Got the hamburger out. He's getting ready to smear himself with hamburger. He's got his socks off that. 
He's stuffed down his pants. He used to love to take his socks off. So I tug on his pant leg and he looks down and he gets close and I whisper, Mr. Glantz just told me to tell you that they landed on the moon. Iggy got all excited and told everybody, I'm going to play a special dedication. The Stooges then launched directly into 1969. It was pretty emotional for me, Lockhart recalled. The Eagle had landed Sunday, July 20th, 1969. Very cool. Wasn't that an awesome story? Yeah, that reminds me of a story I heard from the Grandy from a, a dude I used to work with in a shop down here named named Jim, mm-hmm. who uh, we were talking about the Stooges, and he was like, yeah, I was a young guy, and I just remember once I was, I don't know, I was tripping on something, and I ended up at the, the Grandy, and I, I walked in, and this band playing, I looking at him i didn't know who they were and suddenly the lead singer just starts throwing up on people oh my god and i ask around and i thought they said that his name was icky in the stooges icky's up on stage makes sense just watching icky just throwing up all yeah. over the place yeah a lot of uh a lot of strange stories about icky pop yeah back in the day russ gibb was uh telling a story about how um after shows they like a lot of the bands would stay with him Mm-hmm. And or stay somewhere like out in Milford. I don't know if he had property in Milford or if they'd go out to Kensington out there. But mm-hmm. uh, basically, Russ Gibb, high school teacher, would would be you know tripping with with these bands out in in Kensington Metro Park for the wow. rest of the weekend. Well, that's the story of the Grandy Ballroom, and I didn't want to end the story of the Grandy Ballroom without recognizing that Russ Gibb was a Detroit music scene icon. Mm -hmm. He was born in 1931 and was a Dearborn native. He served in the Civil Air Patrol and later in the U.S. Navy Reserves. He did voiceover work for TV and radio, hosted his own TV show, and worked in the Gerald Ford White House as the National Director of Youth and Education. He loved dogs, he was a prankster, and he was generous with his time and his money. He died at the age of 87 in 2019. So, that's Rest the story. in power, Mr. Yeah. Gibb. Yeah. Thank you for everything. What a legend. Yeah. We might have to revisit Russ one day and, and dig up some stories about him, because I just he just sounded yeah. so fun and... I got my picture with him. It was really funny. He, like, you know, he was older... A few years before he passed, he was in a wheelchair. It was at that uh, Michigan theater thing. Like We were leaving, and he was trying to sneak out the door. It was funny because uh, the person that was there helping him, I believe, was like his grandson's girlfriend mm-hmm. who was just there kind of you know, helping him out. Like She volunteered to help him out. I just thought that was really sweet. Yeah, yeah. He seemed like a great guy. So I'm, I'm glad that you know we live in a world that Russ Gibb used to be a part of because yeah, that Russ Gibb helped form yeah, for us. Yeah, for we sure. We owe him a lot. Absolutely. So that's the show. If you have a story about the Grandy Ballroom, I would love to hear it. Do you want to hear my Grandy Ballroom playlist? The dirtier, the better. We don't have to put it on. No, we don't play music. I'm just going to name. No, oh. I'm. I'm saying their stories. I'd, I'd like to hear their stories and. A lot of underage drug stories and Probably, sex stories. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to hear all of them. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I just love hearing people's stories. So if you have a story to share about the Grandy Ballroom, please send us an email or message us on Facebook or Instagram. Our email is greatlakesconfidential at gmail.com. And Marty, tell me your story. Oh, I didn't have a story. I oh. just wanted to make a quick playlist. Oh, your playlist? I don't know. You can. I don't know. Now I feel weird about it. 
Okay, well, now I'm going to have to cut all this out. No, okay, fine. So we got the MC5, right? Go yeah. back, listen to the entire Kick Out the Jams album recorded live there, right? Mm-hmm. The night that they recorded that album. Actually, the story, this is the story. Uh, the MC5, you know, had, had gotten such a buzz about them that Electra Records was coming to town to, you know, check them out mm-hmm. to see if they wanted to, to sign them. And they, uh, that same night, the Stooges were on the bill. So they're like, we're signing both of them. And the Stooges had only been playing for a very, very short time. Yeah. They were kind of the little brother band of the MC5. Like, they were all friends. Actually, they all lived out in Ann Arbor. Don't mm. tell anyone because they're known as Detroit bands, but they all lived out in Ann Arbor. But they, uh, they got signed to Electra the same night. What's the book that we have in the library? Um, I just read it. It's Please about- Kill Me? Is that the one you were reading? Is that the one... The oral history of punk yes, rock, yes. Yes, yeah, they they had a lot of stories about the Stooges and MC5 and Ann Arbor, yeah. and yeah, a lot of, lot of crazy stories. Yeah, a lot there. of good <laughs> a lot of good stories about the Fun House and whatever oh, yeah. the uh, the MC5 called their weird little compound yeah. out there. Yeah, Please Kill Me, such a, that was a good book. Yeah. Yeah, but one, I, think they talk, I think they tell that story in there. Uh, yeah. About them getting signed at the Grandy. Another thing about the, the MC5 that, that I just remembered, I meant to mention it earlier, so we were talking about the MC5 coming into the public conscience, consciousness. I think uh, it had to be like the early 2000s, whenever Justin Timberlake, you know, broke up from NSYNC mm-hmm. and put out his first solo album, and he was on the cover of Rolling Stone, and he was wearing an MC5 t-shirt. Oh, right. And I remember all the Detroit rock purists got so mad. Oh, of course Like, that guy doesn't even know who the MC5 is. I'm making him wear it. It's like, hey, look, I was never around during the MC5 heyday. I love the band. It's possible Justin Timberlake Maybe could, too. Maybe he does, yeah. And even if he doesn't, he wore the shirt. Someone might see that shirt, look up that band, fall in love, have a brand new band. Exactly. Don't worry, guys. Yeah. They can't steal your memories from you. All they can do is enjoy the music, too. Right. Support yeah. brother Wayne Kramer. He's still out there rocking. Yeah, he is. He's an amazing man. Support him. He is a legend. He is a true icon in this city. Support Wayne Kramer. Absolutely. And on that note... Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to another Great Lakes Confidential. I am doing my best to keep my s-h-i-t together so we can continue to do weekly shows it's been really chaotic around here lately but we're we're trying so i am so glad that you guys have have stuck it out the last couple a couple of weeks waiting for us to come back so thank you so much yes thank you everybody for listening all right so yeah find us on social media great lakes confidential is on facebook and instagram and I guess that's it. I don't know what else I'm supposed to be saying. I don't know. We forgot how to wrap I know. up. So I we forgot. totally forgot how to do Listen. shows in these three weeks off. Thank you guys for bearing with us. <laughs> we hope that talking about the uh, Grandy Ballroom was enough to keep you all interested in our weird, scatterbrained little minds over here. But right now, we're just going to say goodbye, and we're probably going to make it a, a hard out. So <laughs> thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>